Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. Well, good morning. We're at the third and final of the Three Circles sermons, and it should be fun. By the way, when I hear that guy's voice every time, it makes me think of Whataburger commercials. I don't know. <laughs> kind of has that sound, so I think Whataburger sounds kind of good. Um, so I wanted to do something a little different today as we bring this. This is, I'm sharing from the prodigal son, a story that we all know probably very well. Maybe in some ways we can put ourselves in the middle. It's the third of three parables that come together that Jesus is teaching, um, that he is really pointing towards the Pharisees. All point to sinners being lost and found by Jesus, entering the kingdom of God. And as I tell you this, I'm taking some liberties. I'm going to retell this story of the prodigal. And and although there are two sons that both have problems, I'm going to focus on the younger son today. Um, And the older son is another sermon for another time. So enter into this with me. Maybe you'll see yourself or someone that you know But know how deeply God loves you and pursues you and seeks you. Father, two sons, one dutiful, one faithful. One's a little more rebellious, probably a little jealous of the older brother that everything just seems to work out right. Kind of just has it all together. Does whatever the father asks and never groans or moans, just does what he's asked. The younger brother, not so much. In fact, I would say the younger brother has started to resent everything about his family. It's kind of crazy because the father in this, if we look at him, everything that he has is for his sons. What he's built, what he's grown, the wealth that he has, the people around him, everything that he has, he's done for his sons. He loves them deeply. And to have two sons, what a great, great gift that he gets to have this and share in life with them. What a great gift. In fact, he probably sees himself in his sons. The older one, maybe they look alike or they seem to act alike. And the younger one, they sound alike. And, and he can see his imprint on his son. They're kind of the same. But the son, the younger son, just he's just tired of it. Maybe he's tired of not having a not getting enough allowance, or maybe he's tired of the chores that happen early in the morning and late in the evening, and he's just tired of it. He wants to go out. He wants to do things. He doesn't want anyone asking where he is. He's rebellious, and he's that son, and he's pushing the limits everywhere he can at home. And I think there's probably this point, this point along the way that he goes, you know what? I've had it with this. No more. I'm tired of waiting for what's going to be mine anyway. I'm tired of it. I want it now. Because if I can get it now, I, I don't want to wait till I'm ancient to live my life. You only live once, and I'm ready for it. And so he kind of decides that this is it, and he's going to his dad. And he goes to his dad, and he looks him straight in the eyes, and he says, Hey, I want what's mine, and I want it now. I'm tired of waiting. I'm not waiting till I'm ancient, like 30 or something, to live my life. I'm ready for the road. I'm ready for life. I can do it better than you can do it. I know what I need. You don't understand me. You don't get me anymore. So he looks at his dad and says, I want my share. I want my inheritance. What he's really saying is, Dad, 
I wish you were dead. I don't want your stuff anymore. I don't want you anymore. I just want the things that are mine. I can imagine the heartache and heartbreak that this son, this dad feels as he looks at his son, the one that he loves so deeply, and says, you can go. The father, heartbroken, he gave him what he asked for. And I think deep down, he knew that that may be the only way that his son could learn if he ever would. It seems crazy. Why would he give up his wealth? And why would he respond to his son in this way? And he knew what his son was going to do. He knew his heart and his character, but he gave it anyway because maybe he knew he couldn't force his son to be happy. And he couldn't force his son to love him. And maybe, just maybe, the son, if he went through all of this, maybe he would come back. So they parted. Father is stooped in sadness. Leaning over gut-wrenching pain as he watches his son. And my guess is he stood in the same place that he would stand day after day waiting for him to come back. And he watched his son walk away. And he knew his gait and his shape until the little body got smaller and smaller until eventually he was out of sight. But he kept looking on the horizon. Just maybe, just maybe he'd come back. The son took a journey in a far country, it says, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Very likely, the squandering began with a new wardrobe. The young man had style, and he was going to prove it. And he would sell for nothing less than the very best that money could buy. If it was today, he'd have the best car, best clothes, best everything. He was living the life he had always hoped for, and his popularity grew in every bar and every town far away that he went to. As long as he was buying, he was adored. He could buy anything, anything, even other people. And often he did. But after a while, my guess is, is that he was finding life was not quite as he thought it would be. You ever been there? The thing that's going to make you happy just doesn't seem to fulfill. But he'd push that aside a little bit longer. He still had money, and maybe the next town would offer him a little more life. Maybe some real friends, or maybe that one-night stand would turn into a relationship. Who knows? But I know that somewhere deep inside, there had to be a little bit of that urging that this just is a little unfulfilling. Push ahead while he still has it. But then came the famine. And then Jesus' explicit description of what happened shows how far this young man had fallen. He'd spent all that he had, squandered everything. In fact, it was to the point where he was just trying to survive. And probably like a lot of us, in the brokenness and in the desperation, there's probably a little bit of, I could just get it back. I'll go work for a little bit. I'll kind of get out of this debt, and I'll I'll make this work. I'll figure this out. So the famine came, and he went and hired himself out, though, to a citizen of that country. Literally, think about this. This is a guy who's from a Jewish family that had wealth, had servants, and he was becoming a servant to a Gentile. No self-respecting Jew would ever do that. It wasn't in his nature, but he was desperate. He needed something. And so 
he became a servant. Not only that, he was the lowest of the servants. He was a field hand that would go out in the field and he would feed the swine. Now, what Jewish boy would do that? Everything had fallen apart. And I guess somewhere in the middle of this, as he's hungry and wants to eat the food that the pigs were eating, that he thought, this is it. It can't get any worse. I just want to go home. I just want to be with my father. He had chosen to live his own life, and he'd made a mess of things. He spent everything he had and did everything he could to make his life happy, and it just didn't work. Maybe this is like someone you've known. Maybe this is like you. Maybe you sit there today going, man, I've made a mess of things. I just want to go home. It's an empty, and you can, can't help but ask the question, I'm sure, as he did, sitting in this place. Is this it? Is this as good as it gets? There's got to be more, right? I believe this is what we see in this young son. And then he says, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger. I will rise and go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against you in heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired hands. This young son begins to realize he's made a mess. He had come to personify the opening lines of the Sermon on the Mount. Poverty of spirit, mourning over sin, meekness, and desperate, spiritually hungry. His change of mind was not just because he was miserable, though miserable, misery probably drove him to that place. He began to realize what he had walked away from. He was driven by unrelenting memories of his father's love, of his family, of his home. And he knew he didn't deserve what he'd walked away from. And even if he didn't deserve it, he knew his father was good. I mean, he'd watched the way his father had treated his servants and the people around him. He knew he had compassion. And maybe, just maybe, if I go back home, maybe I've blown it, but maybe he'll just let me be a servant. Maybe he'll feed me enough to survive. And maybe. I think he knew that about his father because he knew his father was a good man. What the son didn't realize was that everything about him, the son, was burnt on his father's consciousness. His father loved him with everything that he had. He remembered the day his son was born, his first step, the sound of his laugh, and his voice, every feature been treasured in his dear father's memory and he wept repeatedly for the son that was gone he longed for his son to come home and he'd spent every day scanning the horizon for his lost son one powerful sentence in this tells the whole story and he arose and he came to his father But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Though covered in rags, 
something familiar in the sun as he walked up. Perhaps the posture or the gait told the father that it was his son. That was the same horizon. He watched him walk away, and now he's beginning to see him move towards him. And this father did what maybe you would do, but I know is what God does with each of us. From a long way off, he saw his son covered in rags, and he ran. An old man running, probably holding up his robe to move a little faster, as fast as he could go. He was so overcome, he had a physical reaction. His whole body ached and thrilled at once. He ran a very undignified thing and literally embraced and kissed him. And as the Greek tense demands, it says that he kissed him again and again and again and again and again. He couldn't stop. He just kept kissing his son because his son had come home And the son blurted out his well-rehearsed, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. Can I just be a servant? And his father cuts him off before he could finish. And he cried out, bring quickly the best robe, the very best that I have, and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate And the servants, the father had the servants bring out his best robe, a stately robe like a king would wear, or in this case, a prince. And he put a ring on his finger and he thrust it on that finger, symbolic of his sonship. And finally, new sandals were strapped on his feet. The father's slaves went barefoot, but not his son. Here we have to look at the unending love of the father. He beautifully represents our Heavenly Father, God Himself. This is a parable of a loving God who is infinite. He is, con- is a consuming fire. But when we turn to Him, He is a God who comes running to lavish His love upon us. And this is the gospel. The good news of a God who rushes to meet sinners with his love. No one, not you, not me, not the world around us, is beyond his love. You cannot do anything that will keep him from kissing you and bestowing upon you the robe, the ring, and the sandals. Utter forgiveness is the only kind of forgiveness that God gives. There are only two qualifications for this forgiveness. And this is important as we learn to share this with others. First, we must see ourselves before we can see God. We must recognize that we are wayward sons if we are to see his love. If we know what we are, we can know his love. We must see ourselves in the lost son, and then we must come home. This coming home represents the third circle. And if you want to go ahead and pull that last slide up, that'd be great. It's the coming back. It's knowing that you're broken and repenting and saying, I'm going to turn a different direction. I'm going to go back to the God in the way that I was designed. It's not our work that earns our way back. There's an older son that felt like his works were good enough. And the father said, you've always been here. It's not your works. God has a plan for each of us. And you need to hear this and know this. 
And we, like the sun, have gone our own way. As it says in Isaiah 53, 6, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Or in Romans 3, 23, as we've talked about, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God was not satisfied to leave us in this place and made us a way for us to be reconciled to himself through his son, Jesus. In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. Or in 1 Corinthians 15.1-4, it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. If we look at this in context, in the three circles, and how we open this up to the people around us, just listen to this. God has a plan for us, even if we can't imagine for it. Even if we can't see it in ourselves, why would God love me? Because you're his. But it says he created man because he said it created man in his image. And even that he knit us and molded us together exactly the way that we are. And even though he made us for himself, things were broken from the beginning, almost from the beginning. It's God's perfect design. In the garden, Adam and Eve departed from that plan. They wanted to live life on their own and make their own decisions. And they call that brokenness and separation from God's sin. Now here, the sin is, is not just the little things that we do that make everyone mad. Those are symptoms of a bigger disease that we all inherit. It's a condition of the heart. And all of us have that. And all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we can see that brokenness in our lives. If you look at the world around us, you see messiness. But even in our own lives, you can sense that things are not exactly as they should be. Broken relationships, addiction, depression, fear, shame. We try different things to fix our brokenness, but it often seems to make a bigger mess. The news of the gospel is simply this. Jesus died for our sins. He was crucified and was buried, and God raised him from the dead. In other words, God sent Jesus to live a perfect life. He took our sin and died the death we deserve. And he was raised to life again, proving he is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do. Jesus came to forgive our sins when we repent or turn away from trying to live life on our own and admit our brokenness and believe in his death, his resurrection, and know that he, Jesus, is our Savior. When we repent and believe in him, he gives us spirit, the spirit who helps us recover and pursue God's design The gospel goes recover, and we go in that direction in the plan that God has for each of us. Then he sends us right back out into the world, a world that is in desperate need of hope and love and forgiveness to share with others all of those things. It's just that simple. It's caring enough and entering into people's lives enough to know that you, they're not living the way God designed them. And all that brokenness and the squiggly lines that they try to fill their lives with just doesn't work. But God alone and Christ alone gives us life and gives us hope.
Over the next few weeks, we'll have, we have, after next weekend, we'll have a class that's three weeks just to dive into the three circles a little bit deeper that we'll be teaching. We'd love for you to be a part of it. It's who we are. It's what God's called us to, what he's commissioned us to. Um, so thank you. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for my friends, and I thank you for your love in the way that you Hold us close to your heart. Father, I pray for the places that we have messed it up. And Father, more than that, I thank you that you came and you died and you took on our sins and you were resurrected. And because of that, we have life and life to the full. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.